podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inco. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes, you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This episode of Red Inca, we talk about whether the 100 actually did what it was supposed to. For that, we get on an expert who had just surveyed a bunch of fans. Raph Nicholson, and for the purposes of this podcast, I am a researcher in women's sport at Bournemouth University. We talk about hot air balloons, motorbikes, pop acts, marketing, women's cricket, doubleheaders, and putting face paint on old men. You did a really, really interesting thing recently in that the 100, I think anyone who follows T20 cricket was like, oh, it's just another T20 competition after it started. It's got some funky rules and I still don't understand it. I still think eventually it'll be a T20 tournament because I just don't see any reason why it won't be. But everyone sort of lost their interest in it. But the other side of the 100 was how can you excite people in a way that they hadn't been excited about going to cricket before? And you did a research on this. Was your research specifically aimed at the impact it had on women and non-traditional cricket fans? Or is that just because the 100 was aiming at that, that became a louder part of the research? I think it's because the ECB sort of stated aim was about trying to attract this kind of non-traditional audience to cricket. So, and you know, kind of women and, and families in particular. And so we were looking at it going, well, did it actually do that? How successful has it been at doing that? So that's where we were coming from with it. All right. 77% of the people um, surveyed. I feel like I'm on Family Feud. Was Family Feud <laughs> a thing in England? Yeah. It's called Family Fortunes in England. Yeah. I'm not even sure what it's called in Australia, but there's about eight different versions of it. It's the same game show, though, ever. 77% of the people surveyed said they supported a cricket team beforehand. 91% said they had watched a game on TV. So there's two interesting things here. 9% of the fans had no real interest in cricket at all and went. But then there's that weird little 14% of the people who had watched cricket on TV before but hadn't gone to the ground. What's the more interesting one, the 9% or the 14%? Oh, that's really interesting. Because are you trying to build new cricket fans or you're actually trying to activate the fact that cricket is still a big thing in England? It's just that people aren't going. I think you're trying to do both, aren't you? Because there's a lot of people who sort of vaguely know that cricket's around and is kind of a bit of a thing that just goes on in the background. But what you really want to do is turn those into people who kind of bring you some commercial revenue at the end of the day, right, by actually turning up and buying tickets um, and then becoming interested and engaging with it more. So that group is probably quite interesting, that 14%. One of the things you talked about was that the 100 was trying to provide a more welcoming and open environment for fans. But just after that, in your report, you talk about the fact that the tickets were cheaper. So I don't know how many county games you go to, but county tickets are ridiculously expensive, considering that you're not fighting people at the gate to get in. And international tickets are ridiculously expensive as well. It felt like the 100, just by marketing it well, but also just by making the tickets affordable, I found this middle ground. So for all the good that England did, I wondered how much of it was just, we made it cheaper and we told everyone it was happening and people went. Yeah, some of the findings in the research, you do think this should be pretty obvious. So one of the things, as you say, it was about the marketing. So um, 86% of the people who responded to our survey said the 100 was marketed differently to other cricket. There are a few people just saying, well, there is some marketing of it. 
So we know it's <laughs> happening. And, you know, the other stuff about kind of it just being um, more inclusive marketing, actually, whenever there's a poster of a man, there's a woman as well. I mean, it's these things and you think, I could have told them that and I'm not a big marketing exec, you know, earning the big bucks. So some of the findings you think would be really obvious. And obviously one of our recommendations in the report is that is for the ECB to, to go, okay, why don't you market other cricket like this? It's interesting that they have got now a joined up marketing campaign for this summer's Ashes with the men and the women being marketed the same. So I think that they are learning from the 100 to some extent. Yeah, I remember going to, I can't remember what year it was. It must have been around 2012. I think we were making the film. I was in Sri Lanka twice within the space of a year. And one occasion we were there for the World Cup and one occasion we were there for the Test Series. For the Test Series, you could go through the town that the Test Match was going to be played in and not know a Test Match was going to come up. There was almost no marketing. Now, if you're a hardcore cricket fan, that's fine. You don't need to be told. But this is the problem is you and I are hardcore cricket fans. Most people are casual cricket fans. It's a completely different world. We then came back for the World Cup. And literally every city that the World Cup was being played in had stuff. Every, you couldn't not know that there was a World Cup about to be played in Sri Lanka. And the 100 is very similar to that. When England play a test match or limited overs games and everything else, there's no real hype built up around the fact that, oh, you know, this place is about to hold an international event. You can come to a fan park and watch it because it's already sold out on day two. Or, you know, you can bring your kids to this event and we're going to have, you know, county coaches here helping people out and everything else. That's essentially all the 100 have done. It's really basic outreach and letting people know that the tournament is on. I'm not sure you needed to rip up the entire map to do that, but it is interesting that when you brought in outsiders, the first thing they said was, if we told people about the cricket, people might come. Yeah, and also the way that you market it, the messages that you send out about the fact that it's, you know, a kind of family day out, the fact that, you know, it's fun. And there are some interesting kind of messages coming through in the marketing that you maybe don't see in marketing for other cricket as well when it does happen. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. I want to talk about the entertainment. So, I went to a few 100 games in the first year. I'm not even sure I went to one last year. And I've been to NBA games. So NBA games, almost every time there's a break and WNBA is exactly the same. You've got dancing people on the court. You've got some competition between the fans. You know, you've got a DJ at halftime. You might have a concert, all these sorts of things. Very, very prevalent. English sport is really, really, you can only enjoy the sport, right? It's this whole thing of if you're not interested in an hour of people mumbling before a football game, well, then you don't like football enough, right? And it's a really odd thing because it's not, 
um, how it works. The interesting thing is that you guys, when you surveyed the people, women enjoyed the live entertainment and the music far more than the men did. So there is still this prevalence of men going, I'm only here for the cricket. I will not enjoy anything else in this game that is not directly a professional game that is being played in front of me. And it is a very weird English trait that I don't think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that partly what we see in the 100 is a little bit of a clash between those two visions of what a day at the cricket looks like. And a lot of our female respondents tended to be people who hadn't really engaged with cricket before. So they have less ingrained expectations about what it feels like to go along to a cricket match and be at cricket. Whereas, you know, my dad can't stand the 100. And probably if he went to a 100 match, he might not enjoy it particularly because he doesn't want to have his face painted or listen to um, a local DJ at the Oval. That's not his scene. So I think that there's a bit of a clash going on with expectations. And one of the things that we kind of say in the report is actually that's okay because the 100 isn't aimed at those fans like my dad. And maybe it's okay for the 100 to have its own niche and to be about bringing new fans in to cricket who then might kind of have it as a gateway and then think about well if I want a slightly more traditional experience I'll go and watch a test match or I'll go and watch an ODI or if I want to have a really boozy evening out then I'll go to the blast rather than to the hundred which is about being family friendly and being kind of very welcoming and not a hundred percent focused on just the cricket. I think you should do an article for someone at one stage where you take your dad to a hundred game and you get his face painted, but that's a whole uh, different <laughs> yes! angle. I'm going to pitch just, that to the Guardian, Jared. <laughs> just the entertainment wise, this, this is just very interesting. When the Big Bash started and I went at the Renegades at half time, they actually had like uh, motorbikes jumping. I don't know what it's called, but motorbikes were jumping up on things and, and, and doing things. And at first you're just like, whoa, we're in a cricket game and there's motorbikes on the outfield uh, halfway through. But then it reminded me of the fact that if you go back um, to the history of cricket, the first time England toured Australia at lunch break of the, of the first game, this is before test cricket. So this is 20, 20 odd years before test cricket at the lunch break, they were so afraid that all the audience would leave that they landed a hot air balloon on the MCG to entertain people because it was, the, I think it was the first hot air balloon in Australia or something silly like that. It's actually always been an issue, that 40 minute gap. And what has happened is that cricket has been so pushed towards older people who like to chat that they have forgotten that other people get absolutely bored. And I still, at a certain point, you know, not that the uh, the concerts or anything are going to help me, but I still at a certain point go, oh, I've got 40 minutes that I've got to kill here. And it's less so, obviously, in T20 games and everything else. But even if you get to the ground too early and you're like, oh, what am I going to do for the next hour? Like having stuff there is so very, very interesting. We talked about the marketing. There was also some really interesting things that people talked about when they were talking about, I, I think I've got some quotes here that you put from people. Someone said it was the most diverse crowd I've ever been to at a cricket match. Really interesting. I went to the Sydney Thunder game early on in the in the Big Bash and it was the youngest cricket audience I'd ever been in. It was so noticeable. Then I went to, um, I was in the Wanderers for a one day game and it was the most diverse crowd I've ever seen with just people of just random backgrounds. Both of those are two of the best experiences I've ever had being in a cricket ground. I thought the 100 was more diverse than an England ground, but I still felt it was the same people coming that I'd already seen, but maybe more of the fewer people, if that makes sense. The, does that does it, am I making sense? Yeah. So I think what you're saying is that there were a lot of kind of established or traditional cricket supporters going along, as well as these kind of um, new audiences. It didn't feel like a new crowd. 
it felt like a crowd that was let's say we go to an oval game in the blast or if i go to a test game the same people that i would see at that hundred i would have expected to see at that game but it would have been 10 percent of the crowd in that position Whereas for some of those hundred games I went to, it was maybe thirty or forty percent of the crowd. Does that? It was a small step up. It wasn't like going to the Sydney Thunder game and suddenly being in a ground where there's twelve thousand people there and eight thousand of them are under fifteen. And it wasn't like going to the Wanderers and suddenly going, "This is like no cricket crowd I've ever been to." This is like a nightclub that happens to have a cricket game on. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things going on there. I think that. Partly, you know, like the first year of the hundreds, people were going along because it was um, the first cricket that they could get to after lockdown. So you are getting established supporters going along. And that is partly what leads to this sort of clash and expectations about what the match day experience should look and feel like. So that is definitely happening. And perhaps what we're kind of trying to say is, well, maybe the hundred should be more of an experience for new fans if you're an established fan, then if you're not prepared for what this looks like, then you could go to a different form of cricket because there are other products available. Gosh, I sound like a marketing person describing cricket as a product. Um, I do apologise to all of your listeners. But yeah, at the same time, I think that the other thing that's going on is that established cricket supporters are maybe bringing along people with them who've never been to cricket before, who wouldn't be interested in going with them to a day's test cricket. So we had men in our focus groups talking about bringing along their girlfriends or their wives or their partners for the first time. It's a bit cliche, but then their partner would go, oh, I really enjoyed that. I thought that cricket was really boring, but I had a great time at the 100. Let's go back. Um, or they might bring along their grandchildren or their children and they have a really positive experience. Whereas if you took them to a day of test cricket, I mean, I'm a geek. I used to love when I was 11 or 12 going with my dad to a day of men's test cricket. It was brilliant. But there are other children who maybe wouldn't enjoy that and would actually have a better time at the 100 where there's a little bit more going on, perhaps. So I think that, yeah, there are traditional fans going along as well but you are also seeing a bit more diversity, which is really positive because let's face it, English cricket has got a huge image problem. And if the 100 can try and kind of break some of that down, then that's really important. And it is a bit frustrating when so much of the talk around the 100 is really negative from people going, oh, but I love cricket. And it's like, yeah, but then this isn't really for you. It's for the people who think that cricket is a kind of fussy sport for old white men and wouldn't feel comfortable. Where would they get that opinion from? <laughs> I remember Miriam took, I must have been my oldest boy, to a World Cup game. And I got a free ticket because I was working there. So I'd ask the, I'd ask the um, it was at Edgebaston. So I'd ask Edgebaston if I could get a free ticket to bring my wife in. And she comes in with the pram and straight away they make a big deal about the pram and they weren't going to let her in and everything. And so I had to call like the head of um, Edgebaston Media and go, look, that free ticket you gave me, my wife can't get in the ground because of the pram. So then she takes the pram in and they finally allow her to go in and they make a big deal about it despite the fact that it wasn't like, like there was room everywhere to put the pram when she was inside. It didn't make any sense. Then when she gets in there, she's obviously got a baby. Uh, you know, I don't know how old he was at the time, but he wasn't very old. And like, there was a lot of like looking over at her. And I've, I've done that as well. I took my two kids to a, a couple of games. And if you go to a traditional cricket ground, there's a lot of people looking over their shoulders, shaking your heads that you've got a child with you. When you go to the out grounds, it's completely different suddenly, but I don't, I don't know what the difference is there. But my wife has also been to the cricket around the world with kids now. Sadly, you know, she's married to a cricket guy. That's part of the geek. And when you go to the MCG, 
the way they look after families, the first thing they told her at the MCG was, oh, come over here. Well, this is how we'll get your pram in. This is where you need to put your pram to make sense. Then they're like, now, the family room's over here and the mother's room's here and all these different things. English cricket has none of those things. And, and I would say England sports are not really geared for the fact that women might want to go to them. As a, It's like even football, they're like, oh, you're going to come to this game. Well, we'll work it out later with the longest queues you will ever see at any professional sporting game in England are women waiting to go to the toilet, right? It's, it's worse than a nightclub, the way that they set these things up. And there is no real facilities. And also there is this general thing of children and women shouldn't be there. The hundreds certainly from the first game we went to was so different from that perspective. It still doesn't have the facilities, don't get me wrong. English grounds didn't suddenly get facilities to help families. Those things are still an issue. But it did feel like in every other way, it was suddenly in that way. And that's what, it should be open to children. And until that point, if you were to ask most people what especially short form cricket was in England, it would have really been for guys on stag dues to get really drunk. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, some of the negative stuff in the in our research was about the fact that some of that atmosphere may be shifted into it being a little bit more of a boozy atmosphere during the men's game, because generally the women's game is played first in the afternoon and then the men's game is played afterwards. And so there was a little bit of negative feedback coming through about that. Um, now, from the ECB's perspective, they would say they've, they've tried really hard to tackle that in the second year of the 100 with kind of more family stands and more restrictions on alcohol, etc. So I'm trying to kind of put their perspective across. But yeah, certainly during the the women's matches, um, it was very much people saying, yeah, it's really family friendly. Um, My kids had a great time. Um, A lot of um, girls having a really good time as well and um, finding it really significant to actually be able to go along and see role models and, you know, kind of women professional cricketers and that being really important that kind of representation and it's you know it's a bit of a cliche but actually it's still something that young girls don't see nearly enough of is actually being able to go to a sporting event and seeing well if I want to play cricket I could be doing that one day or you know women also play professional sport that's really important and the other thing is that what we found is that for women their perspective on cricket changed more than it did for men as well. So I think that's a big success story from the ECB's perspective, because obviously partly what they're trying to do is shift perceptions of cricket as this thing that is for men. And so the fact that more women than men um, have have changed their perceptions of cricket as a result of going to the 100 is really significant. 28% of people survey, I I cannot get family fortune vibe out of my head when I say again, 28% said they'd never watched women's cricket before the 100. And 87% of the respondents indicated that they have watched both women's and men's games during the tournament. We've talked about the older generation. We haven't really talked about the county cricket people who are very upset that the 100 exists in general. It's very hard to argue that even if it wasn't completely the ECB's plan, let's not forget that a lot of this happened because the BBC pushed it and also because the advertisers were like, we want women in our ads. And so, you know, let's not pretend the ECB were absolutely nailing this all on their own. But on a very basic point, it completely changed women's cricket in the UK, I would say, as someone who went to the games, but also as someone who's talked to people in cricket since. Yeah, massively, massively changed perceptions. Um, And actually, what I've just said about women having their perceptions of cricket changed more, well, more men had their perceptions of women's cricket change. That's really significant because generally what we see is that, you know, and this is across sports, is that a lot of men still have quite a patronising, out-of-date view. (laughs) No. 
I'm sorry, Jared, it's true. A lot of men still think that women are rubbish at cricket, having never seen any. Or, you know, when they did see it, it was, you know, in 1993. I had a question on one of my uh, things the other day going, uh, would a really good under-16 team beat the Australian women's team? And I was like, no, they'd get absolutely smashed in the face. They'd be embarrassed. They'd all be crying in the car park. They would not win. No. And it shows that people still don't watch enough of it to see this. Exactly. And that's the beauty of the double header model, actually. And I was somebody who went into the 100 really hating double headers because previously they'd always felt like it was very much the women are the warm up acts. The women are very unimportant um, and it's the men who really matter. And the beauty of these kind of double headers is actually that the ECB are making them sort of one match day. And you go and see both games. So 87% of our survey respondents had gone to both. So that's a really high proportion. And a lot of men saying, oh, you know, there was this one guy who was like, I was strong-armed into watching the women's cricket, but I was really glad that I did. And that's a story that we hear a lot, is men suddenly they're coming away with a great deal of respect now for women's cricket. And the other thing is like name recognition. So obviously Alice Capsey now is playing for England, but at the time we did this research, she wasn't. And a lot of men in the in the focus group going, oh yeah, I really like watching Alice Capsey. Well, in any previous generation, they would never have heard of her. So that's really significant. And then, you know, we had this one guy in the focus group complaining about the thing that happened in the first year when um, the ECB issued a full refund, even though the women's game had happened at Lords. But because no balls of the men's game were bowled, they issued a full refund. And there was a big kind of negative outcry at the time. And they changed their ticketing policy after that. But he was like, oh, that was the worst thing that happened. And he was the kind of bloke that you just would think normally would not be interested in women's sport at all. And he was actually now complaining and going, oh, the ECB aren't doing enough for women's cricket. That's amazing for the 100 to have changed somebody's perceptions that much to actually now take it to a stage where people are actively going, oh, well, previously I never watched any women's cricket. And now, you know, why aren't they paying the women the same as the men? It's great. The double-headed thing is really funny as well because... England have gone out of their way to shorten cricket as much as physically possible and still play it so it takes seven hours. <laughs> no matter what, you're still going to be there all day. I just find that really, really interesting. Also find it interesting that you changed on double headers because you were one of the first people that really tried to change my mind on double headers. I always thought they were good, but there are issues with them. We can get to them another day, but it, I did think it was quite interesting. The whole men's things changing is very, very interesting. 49% of women have not attended any other form of cricket since the 100. I think you write in your report, unless I've written this note down, but it doesn't look like me. We can infer that other forms of cricket are not as attractive to female audiences as the 100. Yes. It's not that England is actually having a problem at the international level. So you would want more women, obviously, because they help with marketing and opening up different things and and women are also humans. I think 23% of your respondents said that. But... <laughs> Really, what you want is for women probably to be going to blast games and counter games and other things. And if they did go to that, I think it's so different than the 100. There's not another 100-like product, perhaps, unless the blast gets away from uh, Friday night drinks culture. Well, I would say that there is, and that it's women's cricket. It's much less boozy. It's much less laddish. Um, so if you wanted an experience that, to some extent, oh, okay. replicates so, yeah. that, I, then I suppose, we, yeah, we the could crowds... say... Yeah, they're not they're not getting sellouts for that. No, that makes sense. No, you're right. Yeah. So um, that would be another route that we might expect people who are attending the 100 to take. But you're right that one of the big messages that's coming through in the research is that the ECB, if they want 
the 100 to be a gateway into other cricket, which I guess ultimately they do, then that's not working at the moment because um, people are going to the 100 and they're seeing it as a kind of standalone thing and they're having a great time. That's not translating into them then going along even to like, you know, England women matches, um, which last summer the attendances were not great, to be honest, very average. I've seen better summers. Um, so it's not having that impact that we might have expected it to so far. And that is quite disappointing. So I suppose it's about how you then transfer some of this interest in the 100 into other forms of cricket. So, okay, let's say that women's cricket is the one. Why not just run women's internationals when England play exactly the same way that you're on the 100? Market it the same way, have entertainment at the ground, all these sorts of other things. Because women's cricket... I suppose the majority of the women's cricket I go to is probably World Cups. And it's always a little bit more, hey, you know, a little bit more family, a little bit more relaxed than everything else. But you could actually jazz it up and have it a lot more like, I mean, you know, we had the Katy Perry World Cup, didn't we? I believe that's how it's now referred. Uh, you know, so we have tried to jazz things up a little bit before. Now we know it works in the 100. Why not just go, okay, men's getting mostly sellouts. That's working. Maybe we want to change the demographics a little bit, but we're broadly happy with what's happening in men's cricket. Women's cricket's not working. Let's just copy the 100 because these women are enjoying the 100. So let's just give them the same kind of atmosphere at women's cricket. It doesn't. There's no reason for women's cricket and men's cricket at the international level to both be in any way similar. No. Totally. And I think that um, one of the ways in which we want to develop or in which we should be wanting women's cricket to develop is actually not by following the same route as the men, because a lot of people wouldn't enjoy, for example, going to the Oval on a Friday night for a blast match. They just wouldn't. But that's fine. Maybe it has its place. But if we can develop women's cricket crowds in a different way, in a more family friendly way, in a kind of slightly less aggressive way than some of the very negative behaviour, let's be honest, that we see at men's professional sport, then that can only be really positive. I do think that one of the things that's going on at the ECB is that they've got, as, as I understand it, they've got their department here who run the 100, who do the match day for the 100 and organise the 100. And they've then got the rest of the ECB over here who are doing all of that for the rest of cricket. Yes. So it's whether it's, I don't know the internal dynamics, but can that little team who are doing really great stuff in the hundred, do they have the authority to say, everything's great for us. Can we come over here and help you with your bit? I don't know. And you've obviously then got the kind of high ups on the ECB board who are really in charge and who are kind of allocating resources and making those really big calls who do tend to be people who are traditional, who are white men of a certain age, who grew up on a diet of men's cricket and have a particular idea about how cricket should be run. And that's what I don't know going forward, because we have made these recommendations in the report about what the ECB should be doing. Um, and of course, one of the things we've said is, you know, take up some of these things you're doing in the 100 really well and do them in other bits of cricket. But I don't know whether that can happen given um, how things are currently structured at the ECB. Yeah, it goes back to that original thing I was talking about before, whereas even women's cricket, which they have not particularly pushed or cared about for long periods of times in their history, they probably still see that as proper cricket in a way, and yeah. they don't see the 100 as proper cricket. Yeah. And so the difference in, the, in that situation is so vast and because of that, they are stuck in their ways. But yeah, you know, get some um, YouTube stars down and get some singers I've never heard of to play some gigs and, and whatever that may be to keep things exciting and different. Because I, I do feel, 
as someone who has been to women's games before, there is a, they are just a different atmosphere to men's games. Why not just lean into that rather than lean the yeah. other way? Uh, Raf Nicholson, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meda Akam producing some of the shows, and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Crickets. Podcast Network.